Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Lawn Art of Marathon winner is Mary Greer of Los Angeles, California. Mary will win a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawnartpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Diana Goodman, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, in celebration of their great milestone, we're looking at Special Victims Unit Season 1, Episode 1, Payback. Your husband wasn't a Czech, he was a Serb. I I really don't see what that has to do with it. He was also under indictment as a war criminal. Look, that was just politics. If you want us to catch your husband's killers, we're going to need all of the information. What was it like sleeping with somebody who raped dozens of defenseless, terrified women? My husband is dead! And you know why? Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of the Undisclosed Addendum, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. It almost feels like the first time. And rounding out our panel is our returning guest from the 302010 podcast, Diana Goodman. Hello, Diana. Hello. Now, you had us on because SVU premiered 20 years ago this month in in 1999. And Mm -hmm. we told you our thoughts. Uh, What do you see about SVU then that you don't see now other than all of Dean Winter's fingers? (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you've told me that, Kevin, I can't unsee it. It's so terrible. (laughs) I know. I'm so distracted by it. I'm like looking for it on uh, rewatching 30 Rock, stuff like that. Um, well, initially, when SVU first came on in 99, I was sort of like, oh, that's so crass. Like, oh, violence isn't enough. We're going to have to make it sexy now. Like, oh, we're all going to be titillated by these creepy sex crimes. And over time, it's become like an odd force for good, honestly, that like it it's embraced a sort of weird wokeness in maybe the last 10 years, eight to 10 years where like they, they address all these issues around like rape and sex crimes, all that, that like I didn't expect them to embrace, you know, the idea of like, no, it, it's, it's just because you said no, then it's, it's rape. Even if you change your mind later or, mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that it's like, oh, there was one I was kind of shocked by that was like, oh, you had an orgasm while being gang raped, mm. but that doesn't mean you're consenting. That's right. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, God. Yeah. It's awful. There was actually, Kevin, I don't know if you saw, 
The New York Times wrote a story about the enduring legacy of SVU this week. Like I got a serious like think PC style write up in the New York Times, which well, is something that like I do think it deserves it. I, I think it deserves yeah. it, too, even though, as we say on the show over and over and over again, it is on its face. Kind of a terrible TV show <laughs> that is actually important and that I think is wonderful and cannot stop watching and you will never get me to stop no matter what happens. Uh, well, because we do this podcast, I am not going to try to stop you <laughs> from watching that show. Now, Diane, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. I've said before, I'm a Briscoe and Logan fan. Mm-hmm. But because 302010, we look back this week, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, I can also say that this is the 20th anniversary of Briscoe and Green. Oh. Yes. Hadn't thought of that. Yes. Yeah. Good old Green. He's gorgeous. Yep. Green came in on the, the what was the 10th season then um, huh. of, of Mothership SVU. I didn't realize how historical a time it's been. Yes. Big deal. I know. 1999 was a heck of a year. I mean, just with the SVU debut that same week we talked about freaks and geeks west wing spaced mission hill it was a really busy week yeah and i only had so much room on my vcr you know did anybody else have that problem where you had to like, keep changing tapes and kevin is this one mm-hmm. you're going to confess once again why you never watched the west wing when it was on because you were watching what instead i think the drew carey shows <laughs> on at the same time. yes that's really stood out <laughs> over time I set the timer and it just it didn't work and who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Um, I am a I'm an Abby Carmichael fan. Mm, good pick. Yeah, really good pick. Well, then you had a good pick in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was I, I I would have been surprised except the credits gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> now let's look at the first half of this episode. SVU season one, episode one, payback. Well, who's rolling up on this crime scene? It's veteran detective Elliot Stabler and his rookie partner, Olivia Benson. They work in a unit called Sex Crimes, and they've been called out (laughs) because the dead cab driver got his dick cut off. Mm. So where are we? Autopsy this afternoon. Yeah, who's cutting? Rogers. Doesn't sound like there's much doubt on the COD. Do you think that your conclusion of pole vaults are personality or gender? I don't know, John. What about deductively logical? Oh, really? Mm -hmm. The victim has been using the hack license of a cabbie who's been in jail. So canvassing a diner where all of the cabbies hang out, uh, they learn that the guy's name is Steven, and he was last seen picking up two women by the diner. The cab company gets a home address, and Benson and Stabler tell his wife about the murder. She says he immigrated five years ago from Czechoslovakia, but turns out his real name is Stefan Tanzik, a Serbian war criminal accused of ethnic cleansing and raping 67 women. Five of them live in New York. The night of his death, a woman called the cab company looking for him, and that's when they get word from the ME that, based on the different knife wounds, there were two killers. Mm. Okay, so we meet them in the rain. Yes. Uh, we mm. need just enough exposition for the audience to know that the show is going to be that kind of show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so it's not a robbery, but uh, stabbings aren't necessarily sexual. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Is there a specific reason you call this out? Whoever did this sliced off his cigar and took it with him. Is that specific enough? But you know what else this scene made me think of, Kevin? What? It's how few scenes on this show and other shows we actually see 
outside in the rain. You think about like, mm. this is it was probably fake rain, right? It's probably like some machine pelting yeah. them with rain. Yeah. yeah. Like what a pain in the ass it must be to shoot a scene like that. Because I was like, well, I don't think yeah. we've ever seen one of these again after this. Not on purpose. Well, yeah. Well, if someone flubs their line, now it's like, okay, everyone reset. Now we got to dry everyone's hair, I guess. <laughs> show them getting out of the car again. <laughs> so to learn more about like where this show is going to go, we have this crazy scene in which while testifying against the flasher, by the way, it's a full jury trial in a packed courtroom. Uh, <laughs> about a flasher. About a flasher, like yeah. They, flasher. they didn't plead that out, yeah. Yeah, and all these people say, oh, we got to go and see this. Uh, Stapler gets the flasher to whip it out. Mm. <laughs> Which is what he probably wanted to do anyway. <laughs> I do see myself as the father of four children, none of whom I'd like exposed to Mr. Gloucester's shortcomings. Shortcomings. <laughs> shortcomings? Shortcomings, my ass, you <laughs> Remember what he's there for. <laughs> you know what else we learned in this scene, Kevin? What? That SVU, as it's known at the time, uh, sex crimes, is an all-volunteer unit, which you would never guess by the aggrieved attitudes of just about <laughs> everybody who works there most of the time. Like, now that I know it's an all-volunteer unit, like, anytime anybody complains about anything, I just want to be like, you signed up for this. You volunteered. You can go back to traffic. <laughs> and, and we also find out why Stabler volunteered for this. Because he has kids. <laughs> why does he do anything? <laughs> That's not a defining trait or anything. I have kids. Oh, perfect. Literally the least interesting thing about anybody who has kids is they have kids. It's the thing they have in common with <laughs> billions of people. He has a lot of kids. But in this case, it makes him special. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, he has kids. <gasps> My parents have kids. <laughs> well, here's your desk. <laughs> So we get to meet the rest of the squad for the first time, and they firmly want to place this in the Law & Order universe, which is why you've got Cragen from the first mm -hmm. couple of seasons of Law & Order, who's running the show. you got John Munch, who we just saw in Homicide Life on the Street, also on NBC, but part of the Law & Order universe. Mm -hmm. And apparently, they want both of those characters to be comic relief. Yes. Cragen uh, <laughs> set up to be like a, quote, character on the show with his stupid Red Vine situation and all the... <laughs> dumb uh, antics he pulls and the snarky lines, I'm like, this does not work. Especially like we're supposed to believe that Olivia would feel bad when like talked down to by him. And it's like, dude, go back to your candy drawer. Like, what's your problem? If the body's dead, then is that considered a sex crime? Just go. You know, investigate, interrogate, write up a DD-5. Yeah, like he's got, besides, I mean, the Costco-sized thing of red vines, he's got a switchblade in that same drawer. Yeah. <laughs> that was... That made me so happy. I was like, I kind of want a Craig and spinoff just off of this. But I will say a mystery that I've long wondered about was revealed in this first episode. Which is what? We now know where Carisi probably inherited all of his vests because Jeffries probably just <laughs> left them in her locker. Because like every scene she's wearing like a men's vest, which is like a tank top underneath. And then Sonny picked them up, you know, 20 years later and made them an integral part of his wardrobe. She was channeling her inner Sheila E. <laughs> Had to be dressed that way. Yeah, so we always have Craigan is always eating something. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Munch, of course, has to pick up where he left off and spout these crazy conspiracy theories. A military plane drops JFK's coffin into 9,000 feet of water three years after the assassination. You don't find that suggestive, perhaps even a tad bit disquieting? 
come. No. And talk about the fact that he was just in Baltimore all the time. Like every I other hate life. Baltimore. I'm never going back to Baltimore. Did you know I came from Baltimore? Because I'm never going back to Baltimore. It's like people who talk about going to the gym all the time. You know what I was at the gym this morning? You know what I was thinking? You know, you know what I listen to? At the gym. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like for people who start watching the show and they're like, where do I know him from? And it's not like there was the internet where you could just go, oh, I'm just going to go back and look up more stuff with John Munch in it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's check out our Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's that guy. How about the flamboyant gallery owner? I'm going to recognize that guy. Oh, I did recognize the, yes, he's played Northern Europeans a lot. Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) No, I just, I saw him, he was on, he was on the last season of Preacher and he was on the West Wing, I think, as a ambassador He's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, his name is Ronald Gutman. Unfortunately, Spicer is a disgusting little piece of street meat, but he has an extraordinarily gifted orifice in the middle of his face. He has been in, uh, had made seven Law & Order appearances. Wow. Probably the one most high profile is he played a, a lieutenant on the Russian sub in Hunt for Red October. Oh, hmm. oh yeah. Now, it's so funny because his scene and, you know, that whole scene in general really sets up a whole series of scenes in this episode that show, like, how not woke this whole squad (laughs) is uh, with anybody who has a sexual identity that they, for some reason, find unrelatable. Like, literally everybody they meet in this episode. It's very Mm. disturbing and it does not hold up for sure. Yeah. It just took 20 years to change the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> change the culture yeah at one point olivia yeah. calls somebody a disco queen uh elliot stabler is like oh still reads gay to me okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was the thing is because okay this is a sex crime because they cut off his dick got it and then like the majority of this episode is a series of red herrings where they say terrible things about people that are not boring straight people where they think, oh, this must be a gay crime because they cut off his dick. Oh, uh, it's probably, you know, it has something to do with this gay hustler who's in jail who has an amazing smoky eye, by the way. <laughs> yes, you mean from being in prison. <laughs> they smuggle in mascara. Yeah, and then, oh, well, it must be, you know, one of his tricks. So let's go bother people who got busted with this prostitute. Oh, this one's got an open marriage. Oh, it's probably them. Mm. It's like, what? That has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. What are you doing? (laughs) Come on, guys. What are you doing? Yeah, it's not sensitive. Let's be real. We have a a couple of Hey, It's That Girls. Hey, it's that girl. Uh, So Benson's mom, who recognizes the actress playing uh, Olivia Benson's mother? Serena. I really wish you would consider getting out of that unit. Come on, mother. Let's not tonight. Well, I know who it isn't. Well, I think you... <laughs> who do you think? Yeah. Who would you think it was, Rebecca? <laughs> I very stupidly thought it was Faye Dunaway, which in my defense... Uh-huh. Uh, what is this actress's name again? I mean, we talked about this on your podcast. Correct Elizabeth me again. Elizabeth Ashley. Yes. Elizabeth in Ashley. In my defense, <laughs> if you look her up, there are many references to her looking a hell of a lot like Faye Dunaway. And that's who <laughs> I thought it was. And I was just thinking like, 
wow, how did they get Faye Dunaway to do this? Uh, <laughs> I'm watching it the whole time. I think they probably could have gotten Faye Dunaway if they called her. She probably was available. Right, right. She mm. wasn't on the West Wing. Or but Freaks it was Elizabeth Ashley, who we know from lots of other stuff, and I will let our esteemed guest fill you in on that since I obviously would be cheating if I were the one who did. Um, I want to say, was she on Evening Shade a little bit before this? She was on Evening Shade. She, she, she appeared in a lot of classic movies like Stagecoach. Um, Ship of Fools, Coma. She left her husband for co-star George Pappard. Ooh. Oh, and, can't uh, blame her for that. Yeah, yeah. He was a cutie. <laughs> now, she had a, this is an interesting detail about her life. She had a devastating sailing accident in the Caribbean in the 1980s, which required facial reconstruction surgery. And she asked to look like Faye Dunaway when they did well, that? <laughs> and it did change her look, you know, and it also changed her outlook on life and the way she wanted to be an actress and the roles that she would take. Recently, uh, Elizabeth Ashley was playing Ruth in Russian Doll. It's Nadia's family friend oh, who actually yeah. raised her. That's what mm-hmm. it's Yeah. What a great show that yeah. is, by the way. Side of bar. Yeah. yeah. Anyone recognize yeah. the waitress from the diner? Hey, Zeus. I said corny on pump. This is right. Do you know what it's like never hearing English? No. Nope. Okay, that's Rebecca Kreskoff. Uh, she later went on to star in HBO's comedy Hung, hmm. playing Lenore, the Ooh. life coach who funnels clients to high school basketball coach turned male prostitute, Ray Drecker. Hmm. Never saw it. Oh, well, hmm. she was good with the coffee, so that was obviously on her <laughs> demo reel. Okay, last one. Who can uh, identify the actor playing Detective Ken Briscoe? Desk Sergeant just got a call uh, for a sex crimes detective at the 96th Street IRT. Why? Some guy molesting a dead body. Oh, I'm guessing the name is a hint. Yeah. Is that it, that's Orbach Jr.? It's Chris Orbach, <gasps> the son of hey, Jerry Orbach. Their son? That's so yes. sweet. Now, the character is Lenny's nephew. And to underline that point, in episode three of the series, uh, they have a crossover. Uncle Lenny. Chad, good to see you. Say hi to Eddie Green. Hey. Listen, uh, cool it with the Uncle Lenny stuff around the station house, okay? Yeah, so uh, what do you want me to call you? Well, just uh, call me Briscoe. What are you going to call me? Briscoe. So we don't see much of Detective Ken Briscoe Hmm. after the first season. Of course, Jerry Orbach was still on Law & Order and had to kind of deal with the news when the bosses gave it to him. Probably with some quip like, hmm, maybe the apple did fall far from the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the investigation that they start doing, in this case, Munch and Cassidy, start checking out guys uh, related to that, uh, that cab driver. And so they stop a, a businessman who apparently had some sexual favors. Just tell us where your wife was last night and we'll be out of here. In her wheelchair. She's a paraplegic. Why do you think I was in the backseat of a taxi when I was busted by the damn sex police? Good question. If it was a female prostitute. You know, he says it's okay because his wife's in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, guys. Yeah. Cut me some slack. Exactly. It's fine. Totally fine. No problem there. Nothing to see. <laughs> Rebecca, I, I will yep. I will point out you did spend two weeks on the couch with a after ankle surgery. I it's, did. It's pretty close. Did you immediately go out and find some quote from the episode Street Meat to have an affair with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I plead the fifth. I I did love when they when Munch and Cassidy go talk to, you know, Mr. Business Wall Street man guy. Uh and they, they basically at one point Cassidy just sort of braces him and pushes him 
put, you know, gets him against the car and tell him, like, you know, calm down, don't assault an officer. We're just going to bother you about your sex life. <laughs> and when he lets him up, he sort of pats his head in a really sweet little way, like, I'm just going to pet you for a second. It's <laughs> like, that was a really great actor detail, and I wanted to see more of that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see the whole rest of the show be, Cassidy just likes to hug people. <laughs> I really liked how the guy's driver just, like, stood there. Didn't he, like, like apparently this is supposed to be, like, his bodyguard slash driver dude. Just stood there, watched the whole thing happen, said nothing, as if this happens all the time. Yeah. And then as soon as the interaction was over, he's like, okay, can we go now? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. No, but you know when he got in the car, the guy like turned to the driver was like, thanks, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> they also, by the way, in this um, premiere, I think tease something that does not come to fruition, where you're led to believe... You know, this is very much like a it felt like a spinoff of ER when it came on. I remember that only because Mariska had just been on ER and it sort of had that like mm-hmm. very walk and talky kind of feel, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of led to believe, I think, that the cast and the squad is going to be bigger than it ends up being It's like all these people and all the scenes. And uh, yeah. here we are 21 years later. And uh, apparently now it's just <laughs> Rollins and Ice-T. <laughs> and, and, and the captain can now Captain Benson, who's apparently also doing a ton of work as a cop because the squad keeps shrinking and shrinking and yet there are still lots of background actors walking around and we have no idea who they're supposed to be right yeah well craig and we'll start yeah. talking about something everybody turns around all these people in the background listening in like yeah i'm part of this case too <laughs> who are you <laughs> bullshit yeah and yet the the opening credits were really short it's it's just four people yes it's just our our two leads dan florick and richard belzer and it's like I'm waiting for more. And we get that classic, classic shot because our alt TVs all used to be square mm-hmm. of the four of them walking through a too small door together, overlapping <laughs> yeah. with their bodies. That's where this came from. It's so great. I don't know why they got to walk like that. <laughs> they can't just walk like two by two. They have to be all four yeah. in a row. <laughs> yeah. It's like street toughs. <laughs> right behind him, there's someone with a stroller like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Can I get past you? Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Benson and Stabler begin questioning women who've been raped in the war by Tanzik, including one who's been blinded by him. After going a little too hard questioning Tanzik's widow, Elliot gives Olivia a little pep talk. You just verbally harassed the wife of a murder victim. She lied to a police officer. If anything, she's guilty of obstruction. You know, you're on very thin ice right now. How's that? Craig is already worried about your objectivity on this. Fine, let him take me off the case. Yeah, you don't want to do that. What is that supposed to mean? It means you take yourself off this case, you're taking yourself out of the unit. Victim mm. Marta Stevens isn't home, but stepdad shows him her little boy, who looks just like a little war criminal. <laughs> so if Tanzik's the father, it gives Marta a strong motive. They check up on Anna Rogova, a restaurateur whose family was killed by Tanzik, She denies involvement, but they notice a cut on her hand. The detectives arrest Marta and bring her to Anya's restaurant before being taken into custody. She asks if it would be okay if she used a telephone right next to that sharpened steak knife. (laughs) She plunges the blade into her 
I don't know, her thigh or lady parts. They really don't show it. She just kind of stabs herself and then dies whispering something in Elliot's ear. Mm. In custody, Marta says, uh, one day she got into a cab and recognized Tansic, and that's how the plan began. ADA Abby Carmichael recommends 18 months in the psych unit instead of jail. Craigan is pissed that, nudged along by his detectives, Tansic's killers will go unpunished and tells Benson that was her last chance to stay in the unit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first of your many last chances, yeah. Olivia. <laughs> now, when she asked Stabler what Anya whispered to him with her dying breath, he says it was Rosebud. <laughs> no. <laughs> that she just wanted to be with her family. Yeah. Um, okay. I thought they were pretty quick to clear that one girl just because she was blind. <laughs> Did you know Stefan Tanzek? He is the one that did this to me. <laughs> they really didn't ask too many questions. It was a perfect cover. Yes, but it made Olivia vomit. The whole purpose of that scene was so oh that Olivia could vomit and then Elliot could go into super douchebag condescending mode, right? Was yeah. that the whole point? There's no yeah. crying in baseball, Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> Says like the biggest crybaby in the entire squad for the next 10 years. <laughs> so they get a look at Marta's son. Yeah. And assume, mm-hmm. without even seeing what she looks like, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. That this kid is Tanzik's son because of the resemblance. Isn't it possible he just had dark hair? <sighs> I mean, it's this, a big jump, this- right? This is the worst detective work. Like the whole second half of this, after we've gotten past some of these red herrings. They're just so insensitive and so bad at this. It's kind of like, I I just, a lot of my notes are just like exclamation points. Yes. Where it's like, oh, okay, uh, well, first let's go talk to this victim. Um, And it turns out, oh, she's been blinded. And the first thing they do is like, hey, remember that guy that attacked you? And she, of course, freaks out. He's here. Hey. He's right down the block. It's like, then, then, oh, yeah, then, of course, Olivia's got to have a freak out. Then they got to go talk to, you know, other people. And pretty much the second they see this kid, they decide, oh, yeah, it's obviously this war criminal's kid. And they, like, they don't bother with some of the other suspects. Mm, And they just cram the evidence to fit this narrative. It's just the worst police work. Yeah. And it's like it's not like the kid had like, had like a little Hitler mustache. Yeah. And like, oh, I see it now. <laughs> he didn't have like a T-shirt that said "Daddy's little war criminal" on it. Exactly. Or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, yeah, but they already know that that he uh, assaulted her. You know, back during the war. So, oh, well, you just have extra proof of that. We already knew that. Right. Yeah. The right. Kid, the kid has a T-shirt that says, "I survived the genocide," and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, on today's SVU, they would have had. Stolen that kid's binky and run the DNA in 20 minutes to That's find right. out who he was. They would have. Yeah. And the DNA would have literally taken 20 minutes on today's yeah, exactly, SVU, yeah. even though in real life it takes like two weeks or whatever. Yeah. You know, the whole thing where he looks like the they were so short it reminded me of like when everyone looks at the photos of Ronan Farrow and is like, That's Frank Sinatra's <laughs> son. And I'm like, You know who also it looks like? Mia Farrow. <laughs> As if like only dads can make kids look the way they look. It's kind of silly. What? <laughs> I thought my genetic material was stronger than that. <laughs> well, we know that whole, you know, child of rape thing resonates. Because Does it? we get to see Olivia with her mother, and it's revealed mm-hmm. that she is a child of rape 
as well. Do you think this is healthy for you? You were raped for God's sakes. Are you telling me that you don't understand why she did what she did? Oh, I understand it. That does not mean that I condone it. Wait, are you saying that you wouldn't have done exactly the same thing if you'd had the chance? Is that what you would have wanted me to do? Yes. We talk about how they totally retconned the Olivia's mom story after this episode. Oh, yeah. Because later in the series, uh, we hear that Olivia's mom is like a raging alcoholic, is super dysfunctional. They have a terrible relationship. And it goes so far as that later when Olivia's mom dies by falling down a set of subway stairs and Olivia's like, she was drunk, wasn't she? And doesn't even like want to go to her funeral or whatever. And in this episode, they're like having a meal together and drinking wine. And Olivia doesn't seem to have a problem with that at all. Well, she what didn't the hell see is the, going mm-hmm. on? When she left the table, mom finished the bottle. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that this was the only time we actually see Olivia's mom. I was positive, oh, there's got to be an episode somewhere, you know, where she's dealing with like looking for her dad or something. no. She's I can I did not realize she's like Vera from Cheers that we never see her. We only hear about her. <laughs> exactly. I think kind of heavy handed character development for episode one. But what do you guys think? You know, it's weird because Olivia seems a lot more bothered by this than her mother does. The actual rape victim yeah. is like, OK, so this is what happened. It was a blessing in disguise. And look at us. Like, we're cool. Yeah. We're having some wine together. And sure, later I'm going to be rewritten to somebody who can't even function in the world. But like her mom seems fine. And it's like Olivia who chooses to take this, you know, really, really to heart. And then you remember this is an all-volunteer squad. <laughs> so I say, Olivia Benson, if you cannot handle talking about rape at work, that is the shit you actually signed up for, as we learned earlier in this very episode. Yeah, and everyone makes such a big deal of like, oh, I, I wonder if Olivia is going to be able to handle that the victim was a rapist. Yeah, you're in the wrong job if you can't deal with that. <laughs> it's literally your job. You have one job. Yeah. I know it's like your first day, but it's not really your first day. <laughs> not literally. Also, Benson shares a bunch of information about this case with her mom. Yeah. Is that, it's not literally enough like HIPAA for cops, though, do they? Is that no, allowed? Oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <sighs> hey, you know, there's one thing I, I never understand. Someone pulls out a knife in preparation to stab themselves, and the cops pull out their guns to get them to drop the knife. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, it seems like it'd be a win-win for the person with the knife. That sounds about right. Stab <laughs> myself, get shot. You know? Also, you know, I do love when they do um, one of these, you know, restaurants and it's always like the, those sec- like Second Avenue restaurants in the Upper East Side with like the outdoor seating and the indoor seating. Uh-huh. But of course, like in an early nod to the heavy handedness of the writings on this show, the restaurant is called what? Like Sarajevo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, God forbid the restaurant have some name that isn't literally the place we know the woman who owns the restaurant is from. Yeah, it's sloppy <laughs> and lazy. She's just flying a flag for those war criminals to come find her. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then we find out, I mean, besides, then they do just the worst thing. Ever. I mean, they arrest their two suspects, which they've mentioned before. They have three other war crime victims in New York to talk to. And I don't think they ever address what happened with them. Yeah. Well, like, There's like a enough. very quick scene of them like walking away from a stoop, 
Like, oh, wasn't that right. one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And and then they come up with this Fakakta idea to like, oh, well, let's arrest one and parade her in front of the other one. And that'll make them both crack. But we'll also do this at this restaurant and not like in our squad room and do the whole prisoner's dilemma thing. Why? <laughs> Why are you just taking a woman in handcuffs and walking her down the sidewalk? Yeah, or making her stand there like an ornament. <laughs> yeah. like, Hi! Here, you just stand here. Be cool. We're going to go talk about you right in front of you so that you can nod along and watch. <laughs> hey, we do have a crossover. 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 It's contractually obligated Angie Harmon. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'll take man too and smile. Severe emotional distress. I sure as hell don't want to go to trial. All they've got to do is get Tanzik's war crimes indictment in and her friend's suicide, and she'll get a walk. How much time? My guess, if they get the right judge, she'll get 18 months in a psychiatric facility. Love her. Uh, what do you think it would be like if she transferred to SVU and had been on this series? Oh, I think it would have been awesome. Oh, man. I, I, I do. I love her. I think, I think Abby Carmichael is... You know, I know we've had lots of guests on who say that they like her, uh, and I love her, mm-hmm. as you know, but I do think... She has the thing that, you know, would have served this show really well and that she is cool as a cucumber and yet really, really freaking tough, really tough. Like Cabot mm-hmm. embodies some of that later. But the ton of toughness that Carmichael has is sort of like a steel magnolia toughness that I think would have worked really well on the show. Yeah, I think like Novak is probably the closest that we get to like Angie Harmon's character. And I think she would have brought sort of that same sass. Mm-hmm. to it if she had stuck around i would have just loved to see more scenes where angie Harmon went at stabler and was like shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> she would not have been having it yeah well, now we always say like she's tough but she's like well let's give her 16 months 18 months yeah, in a nice. psych ward uh and not trying to like get them to go to jail which doesn't seem very much like something that abby carmichael would do it does not it was a break mm. from character. Clearly, Fred Thompson was not looking over her shoulder in that when she made that decision. But they came. To, she came to that decision because what she was a rape victim, and so okay, I guess you can kill somebody. Right. It wasn't a spur of the moment crime. They say, oh, the one woman spotted this guy driving the cab and then called the other victim. They decided they arranged this thing. They both had knives, and then. One of them, pretty premeditated, st- while they're driving, started stabbing, which already doesn't make a lot of sense. Did she like reach through the little partition window <laughs> to stab? And then I said, and now we were both stabbing. I was like, through the little window. <laughs> but didn't they lie? That's and- not the story that they told Carmichael, right? Isn't that the whole point of Olivia's using her one last chance? Is that they didn't actually tell Carmichael and Cragen that that's what happened. They made it seem like it was a spontaneous act of self defense or fear, right? Isn't that the Ooh. whole point? They lied. Livia lied. What? Yeah. That's what I thought happened. I guess it I guess that went over my head. I, <laughs> yeah. I just thought, oh, well, you know, she's got an accent, so she must be truthful. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that these two women didn't do it. What? I think this is terrible police work <laughs> because if they were in a car stabbing some guy, why aren't their hands cut up? There's one one lost a nail, and that was like the thing that they used. <laughs> well, no, I think Anya had had some scratches. She had some cuts on the back of her. No, she said, "Let hand. me see your hands." I didn't see anything on her hands. Nothing on her hands. And the other and, one had like a bandaid I, on. Yeah, bandaid. 
Obviously, she did it. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I've never stabbed anyone, but uh, I'm willing to bet that if you're in a stabbing frenzy with your buddy in a car, you're going to get cut up. Yeah, it gets weak. It's wet. The knife gets slippery. You often get cuts on the inside of your hand and your fingers. Yeah. But this is law and order. And so <laughs> even though it's a whole new kind of law and order, it's still going to be sort of, we're going to cut the corners here and just try to make it nice and tidy. Mm. One person's going to bring mm-hmm. a bread knife, <laughs> a serrated edge, <laughs> and the other one's going to have something from the kitchen. And like, okay, maybe you could have planned that a little better. It's America. We have guns now. That's tr- <laughs> That's true. You're Americans now, ladies. Come on. <laughs> do it the way Americans would do it. Shoot him. <laughs> I think their plan specifically involved cutting off his dick, though, so that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Plot points in this episode deal with atrocities that occurred during the Bosnian War of the 1990s. After the fall of the Iron Curtain, civil war broke out in Yugoslavia. It was fueled by ethno-religious tensions among Christian Serbs, Catholic Croatians and Muslim Bosniaks. By the time the shooting was over in 1995, 52,000 soldiers and 38,000 civilians were killed. The world would soon learn of the prevalence of war crimes conducted by Bosnian Serb forces against their enemies. They were accused of using mass rape as a military tactic, part of an ethnic cleansing campaign against Catholics and Muslims. The Serbs set up rape camps to assault civilians or allow troops to rape women publicly to intimidate locals and scare them from their villages. A United Nations commission estimated between 10,000 and 12,000 women were raped during the war. It's also estimated that another 3,000 men were also raped in detention camps. In addition to civilian executions and mass graves, the Commission declared rape by soldiers is torture and a crime against humanity. Oh, that's dark, Kevin. Super dark. Wow. Well, I didn't pick the first episode. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> a Dick Wolf did. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it certainly was a uh, a very dark time in the Balkans, this uh, this international tribunal at The Hague tried Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic for war crimes later in the decade during the war in Kosovo. Anybody remember we were in the war in the 90s? Mm-hmm. America was at war, no? Yeah, okay. I remember that. For like a half an mm-hmm. hour? Okay. 
Well, they tacked on crimes from the Bosnian and Croatian wars as well. And he represented himself, like Ted Bundy. Good idea. Mm. Yeah, it always works out. The prosecution spent two years putting on their case, and he died in his cell of a heart attack before the trial ended. But can you imagine every day for two years going to court and having people say bad things about you? It must have been sad for him. Oh, God, yes. Aww. We feel but poor Sloby, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, no. He was a terrible, terrible... I mean, that whole period was awful. And it actually, I think, was a plot point in a bunch of not just SVU, but also Law & Order episodes. I feel like mm-hmm. there was a lot of, like, um, hidden war criminals from that conflict who they later kind of, like, you know... We're chasing around. So I don't think this is the only time this storyline has appeared on the universe, right? Yeah, it works so good this time. Yeah. Is that we'll, we'll reuse it. Yeah. I mean, they also did the mm. thing that they, of course, are famous for in this series and in the franchise in general, which is like start with one thing, a guy getting his, you know, winky cut off and then turning it into like a much bigger thing, right? Like that's the thing that they, mm-hmm. that they do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, in the age of antiquity, soldiers were not professionals, right? They were men who were promised if they fought... They could pillage who they conquered. So that meant robbery and rape. And those were the spoils of war. This was before they paid soldiers, uh, uniform soldiers like the Romans did. Now, the use of rape by the Serbs was not motivated by the spoils of war. It was a form of ethnic cleansing uh, in which if you impregnate a woman, she will give birth to a Serb. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tactic that gets used surprisingly a lot. In the modern day. Yeah, it's also a way to torture and intimidate. I mean, we know that too. We hear right. about that in all sorts of conflict zones, right? Right. They're trying to get them to mm-hmm. leave the area. Yeah. You know, it's also like, it's one thing to retreat if, you know, the army has taken the land, but also if they, the indigenous people will move on, that's one way of making it happen. Well, one of the things that comes out in this episode and that we've heard in other sort of contemporary conflicts is that, you know, your your attackers, your torturers, your the people keeping you prisoner are people that you knew. Like they're like your mm. former neighbors, yeah. you know, your husband's friend from work, you know, and it's crazy. You can imagine it being in some ways so much worse when you can't reason with somebody that you actually know. You know what I mean? Versus yeah. like an invading enemy that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That makes me scared of everyone. Thanks. Thanks, TV show. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, actual war. That's scary. Diana, <laughs> at one point, Rebecca and I were on a cruise. And, oh, my God. I was, you know, the, I was thinking about this the, the whole time we watched this episode. The, the crew was all international, right? And we had this wonderful waiter from the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. And on the last night, we were talking after dinner, and the war got brought up, and he said, Lobodan Milosevic he said nah he just got bad publicity yeah he did mm. but really but I do remember there were both like Croats and Serbs working, yeah. working on that ship and I remember like one night we were sitting at one of the bars and one you know at, from each quote unquote side where they're working together and we were talking to them and they were talking about how even and this was like like in 2010 Kevin this was like yeah. not like we're not talking generations after this war they were talking about it like it was their parents war like they wanted really felt like they could you know relate because they, their parents had both been through this like traumatic time and they were just so relieved to be like in a place where they could work together and I'm like, this is a carnival cruise ship. Like, well, that's this is a what weird good public place. relations does. You <laughs> know, you're like, oh, like this piece across sides. But in some ways, it was also, even though it was like weird, it was also kind of 
cool. I don't know. I, 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 I kept thinking about that the entire time we were watching this episode, you know? But this is the kind of place where I would expect one of them to grab one of those steak knives, <laughs> jump across the table, and kill the other one. Hey, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Diana Goodman. Diana, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or they can listen to my podcast, 302010, which is uh, available on your podcasting whatevers. Uh, every week where we look at that particular week back in time, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. And, oh man, it's been crazy. I believe we're finally at Fight Club week. <laughs> <laughs> I love your podcast. I think it's great. Everyone should check it out. And oh, Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Other Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.